Welcome to the Keto Lifestyle Podcast hosted by nutritional coach Jessica Tai, where we are dedicated to promoting health and overall well-being through nutrition, specifically the ketogenic diet. We will provide you with all the latest science in nutrition, interviews with experts in the health and wellness field, and answer all your burning questions so you can find optimal health. This podcast is not intended to be used as medical advice and is to be used for informational purposes only. Please contact your doctor with any and all medical questions. Now here's Jessica. Hey guys, welcome to episode number 20 of the Keto Lifestyle Podcast. This is your host, Jessica Tai, and I'm super excited to be here with you guys again today. I hope you had wonderful weeks since we talked last, and I hope that maybe you're making plans for your Thanksgiving meal with your family and getting all those recipes ready for your totally amazing ketogenic Thanksgiving, which, you know, of all of the different ways of eating that you could have, ketogenic is probably one of the easiest, healthy, alternative ways to eat um, to our standard American diet. So um, I know there are a ton of really awesome recipes out there. I put a bunch on my show notes from last week's episode. So you can go and find that and look up all those recipes. And there are so many good recipes out there. So hope you're excited about that and enjoying that. I don't want to waste any time. I want to get right into my episode today. Um, I've got quite a treat for you guys. I have an interview today. I have a guest and my guest today is Chris Irvin. So many of you have heard of Chris Irvin. He is big here in our ketogenic world. Um, Chris is a graduate of the Illinois College in 2014 with a bachelor's degree in biology with exercise science. And after a year of work, Chris returned to school to acquire a master's degree in exercise nutrition science and nutrition science at the University of Tampa. Chris now works to continue to broaden his knowledge on the ketogenic diet through research. So Chris is currently a researcher working at Applied Science and Performance Institute in Tampa, Florida. And he has got some amazing information for us today. I think you guys are going to find really interesting. Um, he is the um, curator of information or of, you know, the what, what ketogenic.com brings to you. So you can, if you haven't heard of that before, you need to get to that website. There's lots of great information. It's a good resource to send family and friends that are interested um, in more, learning more about keto to that website as well. So you can go to www.ketogenic.com to learn more there and um, we'll get into other ways you can contact Chris after the interview. But so um, without further ado, Chris, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you here. And why don't you um, tell my listeners a little bit about yourself and just kind of how you got to be where you are in the ASPI labs and in research and um, just kind of all of that, how your interest um, got into, how you got interested in, in ketogenic lifestyle and just kind of go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, so I started doing keto in the, I guess it would have been June of 2015 um, was when I first started doing it. And I just moved down to Tampa um, to get my master's degree in exercise and nutrition science. Okay. Um, and I had actually just been introduced to keto Probably about five months prior to that, I came down to the University of Tampa for a conference. Um, and at that conference, it was like Dr. Wilson, uh, mm -hmm. Dr. Jeff Folick, Dr. D'Augustino. And at the time, I, I didn't really know what keto was, so I didn't know who these guys were. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I always, I've told the story before, but I always kind of laugh because I remember going up and asking uh, Dr. D'Agostino like one of the stupidest questions related <laughs> to go. And him, like looking back, I was like, I didn't know who he was, didn't know that he was, you know, one of the top scientists in the keto realm. Right. Uh, so once I learned who he was, that, that was pretty embarrassing for me. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, so I started going to the, uh, the University of Tampa in May of 2015. And my first class I had was sports nutrition. And uh, that was taught by Dr. Jacob Wilson. And mm. the first day of class, he introduced keto because, you know, that's he's very passionate about keto. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he was he was very, uh, you know, he went over all the science. He talked about the benefits of it. And I was convinced after that. So I actually started the next day. Awesome. Um, and I, I kind of dove in. I just went went full blown keto. Um, made a ton of mistakes. Um, I remember the first couple of days I felt horrible. I wasn't doing anything with electrolytes. Mm-hmm. Um, just just had a, a kind of a struggle. But once I kind of figured it out, um, I really started enjoying it. Um, and, and during that time, um, doing my, my graduate degree down there, I started working in the lab mm-hmm. uh, for the university. And I was doing a lot of research uh, revolving around like the ketogenic diet and uh, sports performance and exercise. Okay. Um, so the first study that I did is I was I was trying to figure out what was the quickest method for getting people into ketosis. Um, was it you know high intensity interval training? Could that help? Or you know so basically what we did is we compared that to like steady state training mm-hmm. um, to see if, if there was any any validation and and different exercise modalities being able to get people into ketosis faster. So um, I spent my first semester there doing a lot of research um, just in that sports realm. That was kind of my intro to keto. And in the, I guess it was December, right before I went home for Christmas, I borrowed a book called the, um, oh, now I'm dropping the name on it. Um, it's written by Travis Christofferson. Uh, let me get the. Oh, yeah. I, oh, Tripping Over the Yes, trip. I was going to say, I know exactly what book you're talking about. It wouldn't come to my yeah. mind either. That is, now I have not read that book all the way through, um, but it, what I have read of it, he's amazing. Yes, I, I actually was fortunate enough to get to meet him at a conference, um, and like his that book was eye opening for me. I didn't even really understand the therapeutic potential of keto. Yeah. Um. So once I read that book, I, I picked up that book. I think I started reading it on my plane ride back to Illinois for Christmas, and I couldn't put it down when I got home, and I ended up finishing it that weekend. That's amazing. Um, and when I came back, I had a very very different outlook on things, and. Um, was really more interested in, in this cancer side of things and, you know, even like Alzheimer's and just looking more like the therapeutics. Yeah. So I started to kind of explore um, different opportunities to see if this was something that I was passionate about. And I was really fortunate that I was able to get a, um, a position volunteering in uh, Dr. D'Augustino's lab at USF. Yeah, that's um, amazing, so. too. Like, what a dream job. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. And you know, I got to work really closely with some really awesome uh, doctors there, like Dr. Poth, who, who did a lot of, um, is, is still doing a lot of great research revolving around like keto and cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got to learn from her firsthand, and uh, there was there was a lot of doctors there that I was just really fortunate that I got to learn from. So that was such a great opportunity for me, and um, I got to experience, you know, doing some animal research. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to see a whole new side of of research that I had not previously seen. Um, and you know, from there, once I finished up with grad school, I started really realizing that where my passion started to lie was within this realm of 
you know, I had a big passion for the research that's out there, but I kind of had, I was a little disappointed that so many people didn't know about it. Like I, mm-hmm. I was seeing so much great research revolving around like keto and Alzheimer's and keto and cancer and, you know, keto and Parkinson's and none of this information was accessible. So, um, one of the things I really wanted to do is try to get that information out there to people. So that's kind of where, you know, right now I'm actually the, the director of content for ketogenic.com. Um, yeah. So I, I do a lot of their educational information, um, just trying to really spread awareness to people to let them know that, you know, these options are out there. Yeah, um, I think so that's amazing. That's kind of my last like two years of, of getting into keto. Okay. Yeah, it's I, I love I love that you're doing that. And I totally agree. There is no I don't under it's very frustrating to me and I don't understand how there can be so much research done, not just on ketogenic diets and cancer and Alzheimer's, which there is a ton, but even in a book like you read The Big Fat Surprise with Nina mm-hmm. Teicholz and you see all the I mean, she's just laid everything out, all the all the studies and 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 just different papers that have been written about it. And I don't understand why it keeps getting pushed under the rug. What what's been your experience with that? And why do you think that is that it's not mainstream? Yeah, I think one of the big thing and, and the thing is, is you're actually starting to see it become more mainstream. Like within this last year, um, you know, the ketogenic diet actually surpassed paleo on um, Google search terms. So. Mm-hmm. It's definitely becoming more popular, but kind of like what Nina talks about in her book is that um, this we were falsely, you know, told that we were supposed to believe that fat was the reason for a lot of the health problems that we were having, and this became such a way of life that it was supported by you know the AHA and mm-hmm. you know supported by all these these different you know big companies and and big supporters of the nutrition world that. We, it's, it was very hard for us to transition out of this dogma. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think one of the big things is that a lot of this research, and this is kind of where, like, one of my missions came in, was that a lot of this research is being written by these amazing doctors like Dr. Diagostino and Dr. Seafried and Dr. Volokh and stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's just getting, you know, lost in these journals that are, you know, even if you find it on Google Scholar, you might have to, you know, pay to, to even get to read it. And it's not, and even if you can read it, it might be, you know, so above you in terms of it's, you know, the intellectual capacity you'd have to have to understand it that, mm-hmm. you know, it's just not accessible for the general population. So I think that we're starting to see a trend. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot more educational websites coming out. You're seeing a lot more leaders in the space uh, stepping up and even a lot of like celebrities are starting to talk about it. Yeah. So you know, I think that now it's becoming pretty generally accepted that low carb is probably better for your health. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that's kind of the shift that we're going to see towards keto is that now that we're accept- accepting low carb, maybe we'll start accepting high fat as well. So mm-hmm. I think that's probably what's going to happen more in 2018. Okay. I think that's good. Yeah, I agree with you. There's a lot of people getting the, the word out there in ways that the general public can can hear it. It's a, a big, I mean, really the number one reason that this podcast exists. So I feel like it is a grassroots effort and we just have to keep getting the message out there. More and more people will hear it and it will become more mainstream. So I, I want to go back a little bit just to make sure that my listeners know we're talking about this book, Tripping Over the Truth. Can you tell us a little bit about that book, um, what he talks about in that book and why you think that that's is such a, just a um, eye-opening you know, piece of literature to read. Yeah. So he, he does a really good job of kind of telling the history of, he touches a little bit, like if you, if you're interested, most of it's revolving around metabolic disorders and he, and he talks about cancer a lot and 
if you're interested in learning a lot about like the history of um, cancer and how it got to where it is now, there's another really good book. Um, it's called the um, it's the the origin of cancer. Okay. Um, so that that is a, a really good book that kind of opens up why we are where we are, and he kind of uses some of that. Uh, it's called The Emperor of All Maladies. I'm sorry, is is the the book and. That one, he kind of talks about some things from that book about how we got to where we are currently with, you know, why we believe what we do with cancer. Mm -hmm. um, and he talks a lot about how some of the misconceptions of people thinking that it's a genetic disorder versus um, this metabolic disorder, which kind of supports a lot of like what Seafried, uh, Dr. Seafried is doing at um, Boston College. So mm -hmm. that that's kind of the primary thing. And what was really eye opening is that it kind of allowed me to look at, to look at it. And, you know, going into reading that book, I didn't have a huge background in like cancer. It was something that I actually spent months afterwards, just diving into the research, just to understand the disease itself, because I was so curious. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's so fascinating that it seems like over the last, you know, however many years that we've been researching this disease, that we've really been targeting the wrong things. And not to, you know, discredit any of the work that's been done, but it's just been because the disease is so complex that maybe we're not looking at it the right way. And that was really eye-opening to me, too, because it talked a lot about how, you know, some of the, the ability for this new information to get out there, some of these new practices to take place, it's going to take a lot of, you know, there's, there's a lot of... Um, I guess, arguments in, in the academic world between people who believe that this disease is more of the genetic origin versus more of the metabolic origin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what was eye-opening to me when I looked at it was that I think that a lot of times people try to get it down to, they want to know, like, what the chicken or the egg, what came first. And mm -hmm. really, I don't, I think that that's a waste of time. I think what really matters is if we know that these metabolic disorders are what's the key component that we see across, um, you know, virtually all cancer lines, that's probably what we should be attacking, regardless of if that's what caused it or not. Right. Yeah, totally agree. So how do you, how do you see keto playing into, into that, into a, a potential therapy for uh, someone that has discovered they have cancer? And then what types of cancers, are there different types that you feel like keto is more therapeutic for? Right. And yeah, absolutely. And, and what I'll pretense this with is that, I, you know, I my knowledge on this topic is is mostly self-taught and mm -hmm. it's stuff that I've learned and by no means would I want to make any recommendations or I'm not a doctor or anything. But, um, you know, from what I've looked at and, you know, what's talked about a lot is that the majority of um, cancer cell types, they have a metabolic dysfunction that causes them to um to metabolize more sugar. Mm -hmm. So that's where this theory comes about, like sugar feeds cancer. It's that cancer cells, they don't have a, a good functioning mitochondria. Um, and they, so they have to upregulate um, processes that involve, you know, metabolizing more sugar, which can lead to a lot of inflammation and a bunch of different factors, to put it in simple terms, a bunch of different factors that can help progress the cancer line. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the original theories was that people thought that if, you know, obviously if you restrict one of the major fuel sources for a cancer cell, you could probably limit its growth and its metastases. Uh -huh. um, but, you know, the, one of the, the problems with that is if you just cut, you know, sugar, you're also cutting, you know, fuel sources for the rest of the body. Mm -hmm. So where a ketogenic diet comes into place is that there's some research that shows that certain cancer cell types can't use um, they can't use ketones as fuel. So the thought was that, you know, if you follow a ketogenic diet and the main fuel source in the body is fatty acids and ketones, 
maybe these cancer cells would eventually starve and they would die. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the problem with that is that the research is very conflicting. Some research shows that they, cancer cells can use ketones. Some show that they can't. And, and that's kind of – and one of my big theories on this is that if you go to a lot of conferences and you talk to people who have had a ton of success using the ketogenic diet um, for cancer, what you'll tend to see is that um, a lot of people see the success there. They're suffering from brain cancer. Mm -hmm. And one of my theories on this is that there's a certain body of research out there that says that um, fat, fatty acids and, and fat that you, that's available in the body – can provide benefit for certain types of cancer cells. Now, the one thing that people don't usually think about is that um, fat does not have the ability to cross into the brain as a fuel source. So, uh -huh. most so you know, in the in the case of somebody that has brain cancer, why they may see more success is because following a ketogenic diet means that you know the if the cancer is localized in the brain, it probably can't benefit from the fat. You're limiting the sugar and you're hitting it with ketones, which can help lower inflammation, feed the healthy parts of the brain and, and not feed the cancerous parts. Right. So, you know, where the where the hiccup can come is that, you know, you'll see if somebody, say, has a different form of cancer, it's not brain cancer and they don't see the same success, then people will start to freak out. And I think what needs to happen eventually is we need to understand it a little bit better and we may start seeing that there's going to be different types of ketogenic diets for different types of cancer. Mm -hmm. um, we, we may see that, you know, if you're suffering from prostate cancer, then, you know, you maybe you need to follow a lower, maybe a lower fat. Maybe you're using um, supplemental ketones to increase your ketone production. Um, but maybe, you know, but you're still limiting your carbs. Maybe if you're somebody suffering from brain cancer, you go full on high fat ketogenic diet, maybe more along the lines of what we've used for epilepsy in the past. Yeah. So uh, the, I think that we're still, there's still a lot of, of research that needs to be done in this area for us to really figure out the best way to attack this. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I do. I am encouraged to see that it, that there are some doctors out there that are kind of latching onto this. We have a, my husband and I have a close friend who is young. I mean, he's, he's our age forties and he is, was just recently diagnosed with um, brain cancer and had emergency surgery and, um, you know, outlook wasn't good. And his, he's doing pretty well right now. And the doctor has put him on a strict ketogenic diet. Wow. So, I, I mean, when we heard that my husband had gone out to lunch with him and when he told him that, I think he nearly fell off the chair. We were just like, that is amazing because we're ketogenic and, you know, we've doing the, the research and just just living the lifestyle and just feeling like it's such a good um, state of being for someone. Um, and then just kind of the things that we have heard about it in cancer, it's, um, it was just really encouraging. Yeah. And I think we know another really interesting thing that people tend to forget is that there's actually a large body. Not, I wouldn't say a large body, but there's a growing body of research is also supporting that the ketogenic diet may help potentiate the, um, the effects of the standard of care. Mm. Um, so there's there's some research out there showing that um, fasting and being in a state of ketosis can actually um, help like desensitize cancer cells uh, and make them a little bit more vulnerable for if you were to attack them with say radiation or maybe even chemo. Um, so what's mm -hmm. beneficial about that is that you know even if it's if keto is not the sole answer to the treatment if you're able to lower somebody's treatment in terms of the dosing or the duration of their treatment for you know the standard of care 
then that's pretty powerful. And I think that could really improve the outlook on people that have to go through these treatments. Yeah. Um, so that that's something too that even goes along with it is that I think right now, you know, whether it's fasting, whether it's following ketogenic diet, whether it's incorporating exogenous ketones, I think that if these pe- people just need to know, be aware of the research and be able to at least have access to it so they can make their own decision on whether or not they think it's a good idea. Yes, totally agree with that. So I, I know we're um, talking about cancer here. I know you're not a doctor, you're not an expert in this stuff, but um, have you done any, since you have worked in um, Dr. D'Agostino's lab, have you guys done any research or had you seen any research on ketogenic diets and not only type 2 diabetes, but potentially type 1 diabetes? Yeah, so there's, there's not as much research out there on type 1 diabetes, but I know that there's a really good support group on Facebook um, where I think it's called Type 1 Grit, I believe is the name, Okay. Um, of which has a bunch of people. I, I'm, I'll have to confirm if that's the name or not, but it has a bunch of people who are talking about using the diet to to treat um, their type 1 diabetes. And it's a it's kind of a risky – it's not risky, but it's – the reason why there's not a lot of research on it is because I think a lot of uh, doctors out there – don't feel comfortable prescribing it right now for that case. Right. I'm sure they're scared to death of ketoacidosis. And that's, you know, generally what any fear comes from a doctor in the regards to ketogenic diet, it's that anyway. Yeah, exactly. And and that's why, you know, it's one of those things, that's why the information is so important because people need to understand that, you know, those aren't necessarily things to be afraid of. And, you know, some of these textbooks from the 70s, you know, they they might not be, have all the answers that these doctors are looking for. Right. Um, But, you know, for type 1 diabetes uh, or for type 2 diabetes, um, I definitely think it's one of the best things that you can do. And there's a lot of really great uh, researchers like, you know, Dr. Westman's doing some awesome stuff up at Duke University. Yeah. Um, uh, regarding, you know, obesity and insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes. And really, I think that to me, it, it seems almost, you know, elementary that that should be what we're, we're prescribing for people. I mean, you're talking, if you look at the nature of the disease, it's your, your inability to effectively use glucose mm-hmm. um, or sugar. And, you know, instead of us trying to fix that problem, we try to just treat it by, you know, prescribing things like insulin and, and everything that are going to just further contribute to the disease. So, you know, I think that the, to me, the smart move in that case is obviously to remove what the problem is and incorporate something to take care of, of, you know, try to restore things and try to fix things. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of research out there showing that, um, you know, the ketogenic diet can, you know, improve insulin sensitivity, can lower HbA1c, um, and it can really help these people that are suffering from the disease. There's research showing that people are able to lower their medication or come off of their medication. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that especially if you look at long term, you know, making a dietary lifestyle change is going to be a lot better than, you know, loading your body up with, you know, insulin or, or taking different drugs that are going to, you know, potentially lead to, you know, problems down the road. So I think that, you know, in terms of which situations as a ketogenic diet best for I really feel like those ones are, are two of the top ones that it's almost it's a no-brainer yeah I yeah I, I totally agree with that I get a lot of questions from people that will write in about type 1 and type 2 type 2 is easier for me to talk to them about but I don't have a lot of um, information on type 1 
on how, I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, I know right. their beta cells are destroyed. I know they're no longer producing insulin. So it mm-hmm. would make sense to me that if you're no longer able to produce that and you're not bringing in, like you said, you're not bringing in the foods that are requiring you to produce that, I don't really see what the problem would be. And I know I know they do have to be more careful about ketoacidosis, but most type 1s are so careful about tracking everything anyway because they have to be. It seems like it wouldn't be really that big of a risk as long as they're watching things. But, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping that there's more research done on that and that more doctors kind of get get up to date on, on how they can help people. I think it could be a very freeing way of life for them. Yeah, and I think what, like, a lot of these people, like, I mean, like, we talked earlier, too, but, like, what you're doing with the podcast and, you know, all these, like, support groups that are out there that you see on social media and everything are not the medical world is an industry. And, you know, if they people start understanding that this is the direction that people are headed, people are starting to look into taking care of their own health and, uh, you know, they're starting to get together in support groups to figure out alternative ways of treating themselves. That's what's going to help this paradigm shift towards using this low-carb ketogenic lifestyle to treat some of these disorders. So that's why, you know, all of these things that people are doing like yourself are so important. Yeah, I think it's important to be to be empowered as a patient. And, you know, I, I think we need to get past that the generation where your doctor knew everything and you went in and sat down and talked to your doctor and whatever he told you, you just said, okay, that's fine. I'll do it. I think, I think we are moving in the direction of empowered patients where you go in, you know, your doctor works for you. You know, you sit down, you, you tell the doctor what's going on. You ask him for some advice, how to help you out. I mean, he is the expert. He should be able to help you. But if you're not getting the answers that you need or things aren't making sense, I think people need to feel empowered to say, wait a minute, that doesn't really make sense to me. Why, you know, why is the ADA recommending that I eat X amount of glucose per meal or X amount of carbs per meal? That doesn't make sense to me because my issue is that I'm insulin resistant and I'm having a problem, you know, managing my blood glucose. Why would I, I think we need to go in and ask those questions. We need to understand what's going on in our bodies and feel empowered to ask those questions. Yeah, and you see that a lot too, like you said, with like the little bit older population stuff. Like, you know, my grandpa, for instance, um, he's in his 80s and he's he's a very healthy individual, um, but he's starting to get, you know, some of his blood reports back and some of his like cholesterol and, and stuff is getting a little bit higher. And a lot of times, and this, this is no disrespect to a doctor because this is kind of what they, this is how they've been taught to deal with things. Right. But, you know, they don't even, they don't even mention diet stuff to them. I know. And, you know, <laughs> I, I talked to, uh, you know, my grandpa, I got him to finally come off of his statin because, you know, statins, they, they really don't do what they're said to do. And, and a lot of people mm-hmm. don't really benefit, you know, majority of people don't benefit from taking them. Yes. And, you know, he went in and, and after six weeks of being off of his statin, some of his numbers were higher. And he said that the doctor freaked out and said that he needed to, to go back on it and all this stuff. And, you know, I sat down and I asked him, I said, well, what have you been doing differently with your diet? I was like, you know, for a while there, we had you eating pretty low carb. You were using some MCT oil and your numbers were great. What did you do differently? And he was having kind of a hard time pinpointing. I was like, well, did you, have you been having maybe a little more bread or, you know, some more fried foods and stuff? And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I have been <laughs> eating more of that stuff. And I'm like, well, did your doctor ask any of those questions? And he's like, no, he didn't ask at all. And, and that's kind of, that's where it becomes a problem because like you said, a lot of people, we come in and we go, we go to these doctor's office and we just let them diagnose us and tell us what to do. And we go home and, 
you know, I think that we have to understand that we do have the ability to have a little bit more control of our health. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I think that there's, it's a two way street. We need to realize that, but there also needs to be, it's a give and take thing. And I think that, you know, the doctors have to understand that people are going to want to start questioning things because, you know, right now, a lot of the stuff that we're doing isn't working. Yeah. Uh, so people can't just, you know, get complacent with their health. No, I agree. And it, it does blow my mind, the diet question. I, I have talked about that before with like my, my mother-in-law, um, you know, sweetest woman in the world. We love her to death, but she's on statins as well. And, and my father-in-law and they're older, um, you know, they're late seventies and, and I, it just, it absolutely makes me insanely crazy that she's on statins. I mean, I don't think either one of them should be, but specifically her. And, um, but that's one of the things is it's like, okay, well, does he ask you what you're eating? Has he, you know, explained to you that if you can change your diet, you may not even need anything like this. Um, forget all the reasons that her cholesterol should be higher anyway. We won't even get into all of that, but Regardless, you go to a vet. If I take my animals to a veterinary office, literally the first question my vet asks me is, what are you feeding them? What's their diet? That is the first question. (laughs) So I don't understand how we're so disconnected as, as people. Like the human diet doesn't matter, but your pet's diet matters and why we're not making the connection that how backwards that is. Yeah, and I think... You know, it's, it's a cliche to say it, but I think that what's happened is that we've become so, you know, we, we want easy fixes and a dietary change, it, it, that's a lifestyle change. Yes. And that's a lot more work than getting that magic pill or getting that, that treatment that, you know, can just, you know, you're being told can take care of your problems. Yeah. Um, but I think, and this is kind of a big thing too, is that what a lot of people need to realize is that with a lot of the, the way that this industry, this ketogenic space is growing it's becoming a lot more easy to turn this ketogenic uh, diet into a lifestyle and that, you know, there's a lot of really great companies out there that have awesome keto friendly snacks that, you know, I, I think what happens a lot is somebody is suffering from diabetes or somebody is suffering from, you know, whatever that they're, they're considering going on the ketogenic diet. They get turned off because they're like, well, what about these foods that I want to have? What about, right. you know, if I have cravings for these sweets. Well, you know, really there's so many awesome companies out there now, like, you, there's, you know, they have like the keto cookie guys and they have like the, you know, dry farm wine. They have yeah. like a, even a keto friendly wine. So like yes, I love both so those companies. <laughs> right. I agree with you. I agree. That's, I think that's an important thing. There are some, some, um, options out there for people and, and I really, you know, I try to explain to people anyway and clients when I'm working with people that once you get off of all of that stuff that you think you need anyway, all the carbs and all the sugar, and I was the biggest sugar holic you've ever met in your life, most of my life. So once, but once you get away from that, you, you really do, your taste buds change, you stop craving that stuff and you, it's not as difficult as people think it's going to be if you put yeah. in the time. Yeah, it's it's getting over that first hump. And that's why I always tell people is that, I mean, anytime that you're making a drastic change to your diet, it's always going to be pretty difficult at first. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, the, a lot of places where people will fail with keto is that they try to do everything at once and they go crazy, really strict with things from day one, counting calories and all that stuff. And, yeah. and that's really not sustainable. But I think that, you know, I think you're exactly right, though. When you start doing keto... Like I used to have a, a big sweet tooth too. And, you know, I, I played some sports in college and, you know, I used to eat a lot of carbs. And yeah. I come from like Italian roots. So pasta and bread is very popular. And, 
um, you know, really, I don't crave that stuff like I used to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I have something that's really sweet, like it's, it's almost too much for me most times because my, like you said, your taste buds change. And, but even, you know, even for the people who their taste buds don't change, there's, there's so many good, like, you know, last, um, last month I I had ordered uh, the keto box to see, I I was really curious to get to try some of the snacks and there were so many different things that came in. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I I did a lot of self-experimenting with like testing my ketones after trying some of the stuff to Mm -hmm. see how they they come out. And a lot Mm -hmm. of the stuff is really keto friendly. Yeah. I agree. I loved last month's box, actually. (laughs) I loved last month's keto box. That was one of my favorite ones. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the the Chalk Zero, um, the chocolate bark. Yes. That was definitely, I didn't even know that was um, a thing. Really? Oh my gosh, where have you been, Chris? So that, <laughs> so they've been out of production for a while. They, um, we bought, we're buying that earlier in the year, and my son, one of my one of my kids, um, absolutely loves that. It's his favorite treat on the planet, and so we were having it a lot in the early part of the year, and then they they went out of production, and they I think they were trying to figure out a way to change up the the recipe and make it so they can ship it better. They were shipping it in these plastic containers. I think it was melting, arriving melted at some places. So um, apparently, according to the rep there that I've been in contact with, they are going to have that back out here in the next couple of weeks. But um, when he saw that was in the keto box, he just freaked out <laughs> because yeah. we had been months was, without I, that. That was like the first thing that caught my eye when I saw it in there. I was like, oh, I want to give that to <laughs> Yeah, yeah. the smart cakes was really good too. I liked that. You know what? I did too. And we actually, I ordered some of those smart cakes um, for the kids because a lot of times, you know, they want something like that and there's not a lot of options. And those were really good. And like you, you know, I did some experimenting with, you know, I was checking my blood glucose and, and ketones and I did really well. They didn't affect me at all. And I can't say that for every keto treat I've tried. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's definitely a thing too, and that's why I always tell people when you're going through and you're trying to figure out like if you want to try some of these treats, it's really different for everybody. Like you mm-hmm. know, certain um, artificial sweeteners or sugar alcohols and stuff, they are going to react different with certain with certain people, and you yeah. know, even just like the sensation of sweetness can cause certain things in people. So yes. it, that's one of those things like self-experimentation. You know, I'm glad you bring that up. It's so crucial with a lot of this stuff because what works for you is going to be so different for what works for me. And it's important to know that stuff. Oh yeah, I agree. I mean, I, and I usually tell people when they start out, you know, start off, like go, go full bore on it. If you can, like, you know, yeah. do, do it all out. Don't, don't cheat. Don't mess with the carbs. Don't mess with the sweeteners. Don't mess with this artificial stuff. Just get yourself into ketosis. You know, I'd really like my clients to be in it three to six months hard into ketosis. And then I'm like, okay, then if you want to have that piece of dessert, you know, when you go out to dinner with your friends, whatever, fine, have it. Because I promise two things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to figure out if you can handle that or not and and if it's worth how it makes you feel. Some people it affects more than others. And number two, you're going to figure out if – you, if you, if it's really something that you wanted after all, because a lot of times we think we want something like that. And then after we've been in ketosis that long, at least for me was, was the result. Then I have something like that and I go, you know what? I didn't actually really want that. I thought I wanted it. And then I took a couple of bites and like you said, it was so super sweet. I just, you know, I don't really want it. And then it kind of gets that out of my head. I think a lot of times it's just a mindset. Yeah. And that approach I think is, that's exactly what I agree with is that 
Um, for one, I always tell people from the start, like, don't worry about tracking. Like, here's a yeah. list of foods that you should eat. Eat when you're hungry. Like, you're going to have cravings. But eat these keto-approved foods for the first few weeks. Yeah. And then once you get adapted and some of your cravings start to go away, now we can start looking at if you want to start doing calorie tracking or macronutrients or whatever. Um, but I really think that hitting it hard for, like, six months when you first start is the best thing that you can do. Um, my first, I would say, about eight months to a year – um, were very strict in that I, I didn't slip up, you know, I didn't cheat at all. Yeah. And that, like, even my first, like, Thanksgiving and, and Christmas home um, being keto, I, I didn't slip up at all. And that made a really big difference for setting me up for, you know, like you said, if, like, I made a lot of changes in my body and a lot, a lot of, like, a lot of physiological changes that if I did want to, you know, come home and my mom made some Italian dish or something, like, I could have it and really have no problems with it. I could handle carbs much better. I was much more insulin sensitive. Yeah. Um, and so I could easily, you know, if, if every once in a while I wanted to have something like that, I could go right back to being in keto. You know, I could fast into keto the next day and, yes. and be right back where I was. And But the problem is, is most people, they hit keto hard for two weeks. They treat it as a diet, not a lifestyle. They lose some weight mm -hmm. and then they come off and then they're like, well, I gained it all back. And it's like, well, yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. And it's too easy to go right back into that um, pattern of eating that you were doing before. Like you, you, I really feel strongly that you have to stick with it. And like you, Chris, I did the same thing. I mean, I was just hardcore six months, six to eight months, probably maybe closer to a year. And then I, you know, gradually allowed myself to have things here and there. But the interesting thing for me that I noticed was if I would eat something that was not ketogenic or, you know, something that had a lot of sugar or something like that in it, I just, it, it would hit me hard in weird ways. Like depending on what it was, I would get like weird, weird sensations in my fingers or my feet. I mean, weird things. Or I would wake up like with almost a hangover in the morning or I would sleep awful that night. I mean, just so I would notice those things and be like, man, it was, you know, this thing that I ate. And it would be weird because I had eaten that my whole life but I hadn't eaten it in six months to a year. And so you start realizing how those things really do affect you. And, you know, then it kind of makes me feel like, well, okay, well, I don't, I don't want to do that to myself again. So I'm just going to stay away from it. Yeah. And, and that's kind of like, for me too, like the, one of the biggest reasons why, like I, I always tell people, it's one of the biggest reasons why I do keto is like, even if you told me tomorrow that the ketogenic diet wasn't healthy for me, the, the cognitive benefit that I get from it is the reason why I do it. Yes. And, you know, so, you know, I have a busy schedule and, and, you know, I have a pretty high work output that I like to stick to. And, you know, if I, that's what will prevent me from cheating most times is knowing that like, you know, tomorrow, if I got a lot of stuff I want to get done, I'm not going to be quite as sharp if, mm -hmm. if I, you know, have this cheat or whatever. So, um, <laughs> but, you know, as I always tell people, like, if you just can really get through these first couple months, like you're not going to have those urges to cheat as much. Like, like you said, like, yeah. it's, just, it's gonna, you're gonna make these changes that it's going to make it so it's it's really it's people just have to understand that you're trying to attack this as a lifestyle not as a, a diet something you do for four you know four weeks to reach a certain goal a lifestyle is something that is sustainable that makes your life better mm -hmm. um 
And that's what people need to really start when they when they're trying to get in the right mindset to attack this diet. That's how they need to be looking at it. Yeah, I agree. And um, I also it's interesting that you say you know the the cognitive benefits. I totally agree with that, and I see the same thing in myself. And one of the things, like even this morning, knowing that I have this interview with you, I've got a couple of appointments after you, I'm meeting with a client later, I need to be on my game today. So I woke up this morning, I mean, I, I intermittent fast most days, but I knew this morning I am not eating until all of these appointments are over. Number one, it just takes a lot of time because, you know, right. because I do prepare my food. And so I know that I, I have to do that. But um, number two, I know that if I'm intermittent fasting, I'm even going to be more on it, you know, more sharp. I can get more things done. And the beauty about being ketogenic is that it's easy. Like I, I don't feel the need to eat and I will be fine whenever I finally do have time to eat. Um, so ha- talk to me a little bit. Do you, do you do intermittent fasting? Do you do longer fast? How do, do you work that into your lifestyle? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I do um, an intermittent fast every day for somewhere between, depending on the day, like 16 to 18 hours. Uh Um, So usually, you know, that involves fasting till about noon to one every day. Mm -hmm. Um, Certain days, if I'm, you know, if I'm doing a lot of writing or whatever, I'll try to extend that. Um, But I do a lot of fat fasting. Um, So, you know, just having things like MCTs in the morning, um, or, you know, if I'm having coffee, maybe a little bit of heavy cream, just to, you know, I think that having that in the morning, especially for um, you know, people who are maybe not as, don't have as much, like, not that I'm super lean, but some people that don't have at maybe as much body fat, I think that if you want to ramp up ketone productions, mm-hmm. it might be good to help supplement with, you know, with outside fat sources like MCTs and everything. So I'll incorporate that a lot into my mornings during my fasting period. Okay. Um, so that's, and, and that's, like you said, my sole reason for doing that is, is definitely related to. Um, trying to get the cognitive benefits of of the diet. So, you know, okay. my most of my work output or most of my thinking that's I think that I need to be sharp on, I try to center it in the morning. And like you said, I try to center it around my fasting. Like today, I made sure to to be fasted before this, and um, you know, I won't eat till later in the day because of meetings I have, just because I like the mental acuity that comes with it. Right. Okay. So speaking of um, doing your fat fast in the morning and and getting the MCT oil in. Um, how do you feel about exogenous ketones? Yeah, this is this is a great one. So this is one of those <laughs> ones that you either got to take one side of the fence or the other, and both parties will crucify you for it. Like, <laughs> well, just, well, just let me preface it by saying I actually am like very neutral here because I have not experimented with them at all. But I have had clients ask me about them, and you know, basically, I've told them I really don't, you know, I I don't have really much to say about it because I haven't experimented with that. So I'm interested to hear your, your point of view. Yeah. So I'm, I'm neutral in it to the sense to where basically where I'm at on it is that they're, they are beneficial and they have their place within a ketogenic diet. Um, but they're not a necessity for certain cases. So there's a lot of therapeutic benefits to taking exogenous ketones. Um, there's, you know, Dr. Poff found some great stuff with cancer. There's some great stuff on neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Um, so, you know, there's definitely a therapeutic use for exogenous ketones. Um, but my biggest thing is that I think exogenous ketones should always couple a ketogenic diet. They should be, a, if you're going, going to use them, they should be used as part of a well-formulated ketogenic diet. And that's where I'll have my hiccup with it is that so, a lot of times people, 
people will try to promote them as a replacement for a ketogenic diet. Mm-hmm. And that is that is what they are not doing. Um, they are not going to replace the benefits of you can't you know eat a cheeseburger every day and have um, a keto, and have exogenous ketones and think you're going to be in, in keto. But you know I think that there's some things that a lot of people don't talk about with exogenous ketones where I think they could be beneficial. Um, you know I think that during the keto adaptation period um, they could be very beneficial for helping people deal with keto flu symptoms or get through some of those you know, that, that adaptation period where you're not feeling the best. And then I think that they can help lead to like a little bit more robust results. Yeah. Um, I've but, wondered about that. If they, if they could even help maybe with cravings and helping people get through that, you know, the slump and the, the, um, basically going from a carb burner to a, you know, to being fat fueled, just kind of that slump you go through of, of you needing those carbs. Like it seems to like, to me, like maybe the exogenous ketones would help until your body ramps up production. Yeah. And I think, so one of my, and there's not a ton of research on this, but one of my theories with it is that if you're somebody who's coming off like chronic carb, cons- high carb consumption uh-huh. to a ketogenic diet, chances are, is you, you're probably have some level of insulin resistance which means if you're insulin resistant, it means that it, your body's not going to be great at breaking down fat and metabolizing fat. So that's why like for certain people, like if you're new to keto, I think that starting with higher fat intake and maybe using exogenous ketones is going to help increase the ketone levels in your body. And there is a body of research that talks about, so basically like a sugar uses a different transporter to get into our cells to be used for energy mm-hmm. and ketones use a completely different one. Uh-huh. So people who are new to keto, these transporters, they need to kind of be woken up. They need to be upregulated because, you know, the body hasn't really metabolized primarily ketones for people who are new to the diet. So um, there's a body of research that, that shows that like having a higher concentration of ketones in your blood can help upregulate these transporters. So um, I think that if you're somebody who's new to the diet and maybe your body's not going to be great at producing ketones from day one, having these exogenous ketones can probably help upregulate those transporters, get the fuel into your cell, give you a little bit more of the, the mental sharpness so you're not feeling that brain fog and confusion and stuff, and maybe help you push through those those kind of dog days of, of starting the ketogenic diet. Okay. So that that's kind of, I do think that there's a, there's a lot of use for it in that sense. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, I, I think that makes sense. I'd like to do a little bit more research myself on them. Um, I mean, like self-experimentation, I guess. I probably need to get to get on that. <laughs> I'd like yeah, to well, see how they feel, how they make me feel. Yeah. And I like, I, I don't use it. Like I don't have a, a brand that I use or anything like that. I've tried different ones and tested with different ones. And, you know, sometimes if I want like a little extra boost or maybe if I'm coming back and I, I did have a cheat meal or something like that, I'll, I'll use that to help maybe get things going again. Uh-huh. Um, but I think where a lot of the debate comes, and this is something that I kind of talk about a lot is that there's a lot of debate on weight loss with them. Uh-huh. Um, and you, you'll see that a lot is that a lot of people want to promote them as a weight loss thing. And people look at it as it's either it's, it has to be cut and dry. They either do or they don't. Mm. And, you know, my take on that is that if you, if you look at what ketones actually do is they're providing a fuel source for the body and they can lead to physiological adaptations in the body. So what a lot of people are like, well, if you take ketones before a training session, 
you're not going to need to burn fat and make ketones, so you're not going to be losing any weight. It's like, well, that might be true for that training session, but what if taking the ketones increased your energy and mm-hmm. you were able to train harder or for longer? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff talking about how ketones can uh, increase what's known as mitochondrial biogenesis, which basically, you know, long story short, is going to increase your body's ability to burn fat. So mm-hmm. if, you know, maybe for the hour that you're working out, they're not most beneficial, but if they're going to lead to long-term changes to help you burn more fat, then they could promote weight loss. So people, they get so mad because they're like, well, that doesn't make sense. So it's a no. And then the other <laughs> side says, well, yeah, it makes sense. So it's a, yeah, it's like, well, it's kind of in between. Like you don't right. really have to choose a side. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Well, that's good. That's interesting. I, I like that point of view. What about, we, we talked a little bit about um, tracking and when you would tell people to track and when you wouldn't. And I totally agree with that. Um, I think people, especially in the beginning, can get really wrapped up on not just tracking ra- macros, but getting on the scale and you know how much weight have I lost and all that kind of thing and calorie counting. And I think it, it can just go down the wrong road. But um, how, you know, if you, when you do track or if you do, how do you, how do you track your ketones? Do you, have you ever done that? And, and is there, uh, it, do you have a reason why you do or don't? So when you say track, you're referring to tracking. Um, you're, well, like your ketones, for instance, like, do you do okay. a blood or a breath just to see where you're at? And, you know, how do you, yeah, how do so, you feel about that? Yeah. So I have a pretty strong opinion on it. Um, I don't think that once you get adapted to the diet, I don't think that testing your blood ketones frequently is a good use of your time or money mm-hmm. only because we don't really know what that number means. Um, you know, one of my theories is that, and you see this a lot in people is I think that when you start keto, your blood ketones get really high mm-hmm. and it would be good to know that because it's good to know that you're doing the right thing mm-hmm. with your diet. You can assess your diet and say, I'm producing ketones. So things are great. But what you tend to see is that as people follow keto a little more long term, that number starts to get lower. Mm-hmm. And my opinion is that it's because you're more efficiently using the ketones that you're producing. So if your cells are taking them in and your brain's taking them in and everything, there's probably not going to be as much in the blood. I love that you just said that because that is 100% my take on it. And I have yeah. said that so many times and I see on social media and I'll get questions from people where they are freaking out because their ketones are, you know, 0.5 millimole versus somebody else's is, you know, four point something. And and I always want to, I always tell people, in my opinion, I'm of the opinion that the whole idea is your body is supposed to become more efficient at using ketones. If you've got that many ketones in your blood, then you're not that efficient at using the ketones. So I I don't think that more, you know, having a a larger reading on your blood meter is telling you that you're in a deeper ketosis. I mean, you're either in ketosis or you're not. Yeah. And I always tell people too, like, because I've had a lot of clients I've worked with in the past that they'll freak out because their ketones will be 0.3 or 0.4. Yeah. And I always ask them, like, how do you feel? Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Is your energy good? Are you hungry? Like, do you have cravings? Like, are you sleeping well? What, like, tell me how you feel. And they'll be like, oh, everything's great. I'm like, well, then what, what are you doing? <laughs> right. <about?"> <laughs> exactly. No, I love that, Chris. That's great. Yeah. Good. I'm glad, I'm glad to have that uh, little bit of backup there. See, everybody, anybody that I've told this to, listen, Chris, <laughs> I'm not making this up. Chris is of the same mindset. <laughs> I think, you know, it's, and it's, it's tough because it's one of those things that 
there's not a ton of research out there yeah. on it, so nobody wants that. But it's like, like you said, like for me, if you're going to make the ketogenic diet a lifestyle, you can't just be pricking your finger every day. Like, exactly. <laughs> right. You know, every time you eat, that's not going to be the thing that's going to be, you know, make this sustainable for you. So it's one of those things, like if you, I like, the only time I do it is if I'm self-experimenting and I'm trying to look at, you know, I've tested different things like, you know, different eating patterns or, you know, eating different types of macronutrients at different times of the day. Like that's yeah. when I'll, I'll test them. But if you're somebody that's just using the diet for, you know, just for yourself and everything, then there's really no need to be doing that every day. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Well, you know what? I appreciate your time here. I know that you don't have um, a whole lot more time left, but I just want to give you an opportunity to kind of tell people how they can find you, where you're at, you on, you know, Instagram. I know you're on Instagram, but um, you know, other places that they can find you and get more information. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Um, so my personal uh, Instagram account is uh, at the ketologist, mm -hmm. and um, I do have an email set up on there, so you can go on if you have questions. Um, I usually try to get answers to everybody. Um, so if you know, if, if whether you want to shoot me a direct message or an email, you can always reach out on there. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, I am the director of content for uh, ketogenic.com. So we have uh, Instagram and Facebook, which is at ketogenic.com. Mm -hmm. And then as well as our website, which is ketogenic.com. So um, those are, you know, my personal page is going to be a little bit more stuff, more personal to me. But I also put out some educational stuff. And then, you know, ketogenic.com is going to be completely dedicated to all stuff keto, um, ranging from, you know, lifestyle tips to you know, talk, re, talking about studies and breaking down the information. So that's yeah. really the, the primary places you can find me. Okay, that's great. And the ketogenic.com, it is a great website. So for anybody listening, oh. I've been on there. It's a great content. You do a really, really good job on there. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, well, um, I guess we'll wrap this up then. This is Chris Irvin. Thank you so much for your time, Chris. I really appreciate it. And I think my listeners just got a ton of really great information today. Well, thank you very much for having me. I had a great time. You're welcome. Thanks, Chris. I'll see you later. Yep, see you later. Okay, bye. Well, guys, that was an excellent interview with Chris Irvin, and I hope that you really enjoyed that and were able to get a lot of information out of this episode to help you continuing on your keto journey. And before we go today, I do have two reviews I wanted to share with you. They're sweet, uh, short and sweet, so I thought I would um, share two of them today. So the first one is from Keto999, and Keto999 says, excellent podcast, just getting into keto, and this podcast is very helpful. So I wanted to give you a quick shout out, Keto999, and say thank you so much for leaving me a review on iTunes. And one more is by Sin Hunter, and it says, um, great info and easy to understand. I just started listening and love how she is practical with easy tips and information that isn't over the average person's head. So great for busy moms and all people learning this lifestyle. So again, that is from Sin, that's C-Y-N, Hunter. So thank you guys so much for leaving me those reviews on iTunes. I really super appreciate it. And if anybody else out there would like to leave me a, a review, I would love to read yours on air. And I just really appreciate getting those. They really do make my day. And it was um, great to, to be here with you guys today and talking with you. And of course, like always, if you have any questions for me, please feel free to reach out. You can reach me via email at jessica at jessicatai.com. You can find me on Instagram at thatketoblonde. 
my email or my, I'm sorry, my website address is www.jessicatai.com. And I am on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Jessica Ty Nutrition. Thanks a lot, guys, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. This episode of Keto Lifestyle is brought to you by the How Did He Know app. How Did He Know is a revolutionary app that delivers daily customized tips to help men become better husbands and partners and reap the rewards that come from happy, fulfilling relationships. For more information, visit their website at www.howdidhenow.com or download it from the App Store today for iTunes or Android. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Keto Lifestyle Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed what we shared with you today and are looking forward to the next episode.